This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone, on this uh, lovely, strangely balmy Friday afternoon. Well, the search has begun for a new CEO of the Community Sector Council after Penny Rowe announced her decision this week to step down early in the new year. Rowe has been the CEO of the council since its founding and has built it up from a relatively small organization to the main body representing the entire volunteer and nonprofit sector. Well, Penny Rowe joins me now on on target hello hello linda and how are you today great thanks for having me on and thanks for joining us it's the end of an era well perhaps but i'm hoping that uh, it's not the end of an era really for me i'm moving along to other things but uh, the community sector council community sector council of newfoundland and labrador is certainly uh, going to be alive and well and uh, moving forward uh, with a new leader who can uh, find new ways of doing the work that we've been doing and positioning the organization into the future so how did you get started in the nonprofit sector my very first job in the nonprofit sector was with an organization called the Early Childhood Development Association. And we were promoting the importance of early childhood programs for young children uh, and the importance of training people who are working in our child care centers. Then I, you know, I had a fair amount of um, public uh, media journalism. Uh, work before I joined the Community Sector Council. And I found when I was doing stories, I always gravitated to the stories that really dealt with public policy and really dealt with where I saw matters of discrimination or where people weren't treated well. So uh, all of my early history kind of led me to the Community Sector Council. And I think my background Uh, in some community development, in the media, uh, and with some political uh, experience, I just found its comfortable home at the Community Sector Council. So when was it founded? The Community Sector Council was actually founded in 1976. I started on the second day of January, 1976. That's extraordinary. (laughs) Do you look back now and blink your eyes and wonder where... Where's all that time gone? Well, when I look back, what fascinates me is how many of the issues are still the same. But the way in which we deal with these issues is really very different. And people have gotten really good at looking at new solutions, new approaches, new ways of doing things. I think there are many, many, many more organizations in the community sector than there were back in the mid-70s. Many of the organizations that are big and strong and really important in our province now didn't exist then. The other thing that has changed a lot is that there have always been predominantly women in the nonprofit sector. But when I started in my job, I don't think there was another female CEO. Most of the CEOs were men. And many of the women who were associated with the sector 
were associated with the sector as volunteers. And now we have many more people employed, uh, which has moved our sector a little bit further forward in terms of its ability, its professionalization, but primarily its capacity to meet the needs of the public. So what did the Community Sector Council look like in 1976? We had two employees. We had uh, myself, and then we our first uh, other hire was a research associate. The very first piece of research we did was looking at the housing issues of persons who had physical disabilities or other disabilities and who needed a different form of housing. At that time, there were no group homes, there was virtually no nonprofit housing. And when we had done that research, we realized that in order to advance the physical uh, accessibility of housing units and public buildings, we needed an Accessibility Act. So that was one of the first big pieces of policy advocacy that our organization took on, and it led to the first Accessibility Act for the province. Now, we've had lots of really important changes since then, but one of the things we learned at that time was that if you bring people together who have different points of view, if you bring people together who have different strengths, you know, those people who needed housing, those people who had the policy uh, ability, those people who could pay for programming, if we got people together and worked collaboratively, we could make far more ground than if it was always just being combative. Being combative is sometimes important, but I think we have a much greater understanding and ability in our province now to work really closely with our private sector and the way in which we work particularly with our provincial government, is vastly different uh, than when I started working in the nonprofit sector. And, I mean, we know that there are many, many people who work within the provincial government or people who are elected politicians who absolutely have, you know, exactly the same point of view as many of us who work in the community sector. So there's much more of a collaborative approach as to how we might be able to address program. So that's a really big advance forward. And the same applies to working with the federal government. We think there are, I think there are many more close relationships now than there used to be. And that makes uh, the policy work sometimes a lot easier. So was that part of your intent in the beginning to, to, to um, try to influence policy and legislation? Yes, that was built right into our founding principles. Uh, And actually, when I look at the group of people who established the Community Sector Council and they talked about uh, creating better relationships with governments, federal, provincial and municipal, they talked about trying to find a way for organizations to work better and more efficiently together rather than everybody always being in their own little silo. And so that that is hard work. It's hard work for organizations across the country. But I think we've made huge inroads. And I want to talk to you a little bit about those inroads and some of those changes that have been made when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is CEO of the Community Sector Council, Penny Rowe. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. 
Our guest today on On Target is CEO of the Community Sector Council, Penny Rowe, uh, who is uh, stepping down in early in 2023 after uh, quite a few years at the helm there. How, how has the community sector grown or changed over that length of time? A number of things that we've uh, learned, I think, uh, Linda, and where we've seen changes taking place is we are actually starting to recognize that collectively all of the nonprofits and charities in the province, whether they're sports organizations or whether they're providing health and social services or services to senior citizens or whatever their work is, that we all have many things in common. So, for example, what distinguishes the community sector from government or the private sector is that we have people who are both paid employees and volunteers who receive no compensation for the work that they do. So our labor force is quite different. We can't be a nonprofit organization, for example, unless we have an unpaid board of directors. So that kind of dynamic really uh, shifts the way we understand ourselves. The other huge shift that I've seen is the recognition of how important the community sector and many of its organizations are to the economy of the province. So many of our community sector organizations, whether they're tourism or theater, social enterprises or heritage groups, really are economic drivers in their communities and in their regions. I think we have a much better understanding of that now and that the work that our organizations do has a lot of spin-off into the economy. So it's not just about the social good that the organizations do, but we know a lot more now about the economic good that our organizations do in the province as well. And being able to understand and appreciate that, I think, helps people understand the work that we do more and it has enabled us to say there really are three pillars in the way in which society works we have our public sector we have our private sector and then we have the community nonprofit sector and with that understanding i think it brings us better to to a better space in terms of how we function and operate and interrelate with other sectors is there a difference in, in I don't know, I, I think of the, the nonprofit sector as being really driven by passion, by uh, an interest. Uh, I have an interest in heritage. I have an interest in um, heart health. I have an interest in um, meeting the needs of those uh, who are uh, vulnerable in society. Um, all of these are, are sort of passion projects, if you will. It, does that make a difference in, in the way in which uh, people get involved and in, in how they operate? Absolutely. Certainly how people get involved, because most of us come in to community sector organizations because we are driven, as you say, by an interest or by a passion. Once that organization gets established and is delivering fundamental services, then it has to be able to be managed in an excellent way, right? You have to have a good operation, which means that you therefore have to have strong people who know how to raise money, who know how to manage their books, who know how to hire the right people to do the work. Once the organization gets to a point where it 
is hiring employees, where it's doing fundamental on-the-ground work in our communities and to serve different populations. So the passion is important. That's what attracts people to the sector initially. Uh, And you need to keep that passion, but you also need to be able to manage a good organization. And that requires... Uh, good attention to terms in terms of how organizations fund themselves, whether organizations are only getting short-term contracts, whether they're getting multi-year agreements, because all of these things are important to being able to recruit and retain good, strong employees who are essential in many of our organizations. Not all of our organizations, but the vast majority of our organizations uh, that deliver services clearly need paid employees. And that board governance you spoke about, um, has that become, uh, you know, more front and centre than it was uh, when you started? Yes, I think that's a really good point you're making. Being able to manage your organisation well really requires that the people who serve on the board of directors uh, have know about good fiduciary responsibilities. They know what the organization has to do. They need to know about conflict of interest and how to manage money. So there's a huge responsibility placed on the people who serve on the board of directors to make sure that their organizations are run really, really well. And a number of people are more cautious Now, I think about getting involved in boards of directors unless those organizations, for instance, have board liability insurance to protect volunteers if something goes wrong. So people are more concerned about making sure that we get that governance correct. And that's why uh, CSC has done a lot of work over the years, and we still do uh, a lot of work in helping organizations, boards, understand what it is they have to do and how to do it well. And that's come to the fore in recent weeks, hasn't it, with Hockey Canada, for instance. Absolutely. You mentioned the importance of running uh, um, uh, a board really well, but, uh, of course, the entire country went, wait a minute here, there's some big problems here. Are you guys going to address this? Yes, and Hockey Canada wasn't the first one where we saw that kind of situation. It can happen in very small organizations as well, uh, where people, because of their passion and their desire uh, to take on a particular cause, become involved without necessarily having uh, access to the full skill set or the training or the opportunities to know how to run their organizations well. So that's why the governance part of it really is critically important. And it's why more and more organizations are paying attention to that now. But aligned to this conversation, Linda, is the fact that many of our older volunteers are now aging out. And so they're wanting to leave these leadership roles. And we're hearing from people across the province that it is difficult sometimes to replace some of those older volunteers. We have lots of people who want to get involved in volunteer work, but they may not want to take on any kind of a long-term commitment to the governance of an organization. So that's a big issue we're confronting, and that is that organizations are telling us now it's getting harder and harder to find people to serve on their boards of directors. And that doesn't apply to all organizations, but it applies to many. And I think that's particularly true in smaller communities where people who do step up are stepping up for a lot of organizations and they're getting tired.
And you're raising a good point there because, I, you know, let's say a theater group, for instance, you might be incredibly passionate about theater, but you might not necessarily want to be running it and doing dealing with all the politics involved and all of these groups have politics of course and um so is it getting more challenging to find people to operate a community organization what do people need to know well we know that from some of the recent research we've done that organizations are finding it harder to attract and keep volunteers and that very often that applies to people serving in the governance role. Uh, and that, you know, we've done a recent survey on volunteerism, and uh, about 40% of the organizations reported a, degree, a decrease in people who are volunteering. Now, some of that was affected clearly by COVID. It's also affected by volunteers aging out, as I mentioned. It's also because volunteers are feeling overworked and they're burning out. And people are saying that there are not that many new people who are looking to step up to some of these leadership roles and to volunteer. And they're often the same people over and over and over again. If you're involved in one group, you might be involved in two or three other groups and you might be running for council and all of these things. Absolutely. And, you know, it's natural to keep going back to the same people. But we do have to find ways to, to encourage new people into the volunteer sector I think a lot of younger people, and you know, th- these are some of the interesting nuances that are occurring now, people want to volunteer differently. They don't necessarily want to be tied down to a regular meeting every Thursday night from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. They want to be able to make their contribution in a way that fits their own schedule and their own lifestyle. So I think the sector itself has to stand back and find ways to adapt. Obviously, in our many of our organizations, we're all looking now to make sure that we're more inclusive, that we're, we have look, looking at more diversity and equity in the people who work for the organizations and who volunteer for the organizations, how we reach out to make sure that we're open and welcoming. Very often organizations might say, oh, we, we need to have a couple of younger people on the board. They recruit younger people, but then they don't change the way in which they function. So it's not long before the younger people get tired of being bossed around by the older people. So being able to you know, find that way of accommodating and encouraging uh, new ways of working, new modes of working. And I know when I look at some of the wonderful new organizations and the younger people working in our sector now, their new approaches to how they do things is different. And their issues may be different even though in many ways, you know, if we're talking about addressing poverty, for example, the ways in which we want to focus on uh, helping people who may not be able to afford to live their lives uh, in an adequate manner is very different than the approach that might have been taken 35 or 40 years ago. So there is an evolution. Uh, for sure, we haven't uh, solved many of the really difficult issues that, that exist in our province, but having new people applying their <laughs> intelligence to how to deal with things, I think we'll, we'll move us somewhere new and somewhere different. And the point I made earlier that how our organizations you know, really connect well with the private sector and small businesses and how we connect with, with different levels of government and how we kind of see ourselves in this together 
and working together rather than just seeing ourselves always in separate boxes and seeing things in silos. I think people are trying to break it down, saying, okay, what does our community really need and what's the best way uh, to look at that? What kind of change management can we bring about? So one of the things that CSC is working on now, we're going to be doing a number of uh, community conversations across the province for sector leaders, people who we might call accelerators, people who are out there really trying to bring about change to see what their views are and not only what the problems are, but what the solutions could be. So we have, have a starting point for trying to bring about change. I want to ask you a little bit about um, how technology may be changing the sector as well when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is CEO of the Community Sector Council, Penny Rowe. We'll be back right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And our guest today on On Target is the CEO of the Community Sector Council, Penny Rowe. And Penny, uh, no doubt you've had the uh, scope to be able to see the changes that technology has created. Have things uh, become easier, I suppose, with technology, a little more challenging? I think it's pretty clear, Linda, that you know there's still an awful lot of work to be done to really bring our nonprofit organizations to the level that we need to be around digital literacy and digital transformation, doing our work online. Obviously, there's been a huge uh, improvement over the last few years, but we face many issues. You know, it could be the cost of people having devices. It could be the inability of some people to pay for Wi-Fi into their homes. It could be that we need more broadband access. But I know just yesterday, as a matter of fact, I was uh, on an international call on this very topic. And it is pretty evident that we don't really have the kind of big Uh, policy and program directions that we need to ensure that all of our organizations, our nonprofit organizations, which, as we know, touch the lives of all Canadians. I mean, everybody at some point in their life has some connection to a nonprofit organization of some sort. And so there is a big need to get our population more digitally literate. Uh, to get better systems into our nonprofit organizations to make sure that we can take advantage of all the new and improving uh, digital literacy and digital opportunities that exist. And many of our funders aren't yet applying much funding to this part of our organization. You you spoke about that flexibility, especially that uh, younger um, volunteers are looking for. Has technology helped in that realm? Uh, Certainly in some cases, and for younger generations, they, they find it easier to use technology. But if you look at what's going on, everywhere you turn now, you're expected to be able to do your business online, to apply for government programs online. You're expected to be doing all your personal work online. And we know that there's a huge gap in digital literacy 
for many people who simply don't know how to use a device, maybe don't even have a device. And over the last couple of years, CSC has um, raised enough uh, funding to give out maybe 1,000 or 1,500 devices, uh, whether it's smartphones or laptops, to individuals. And we've done an awful lot of training one-on-one for people who were you know, didn't have any digital literacy at all. Uh, but that was a three-year program, and it phased out at the end of last March. And so trying to find additional funding to keep offering that training is always a challenge. Uh, And that's one of the problems we have sometimes with work in our sector where our organizations obviously don't charge our clients for the services we provide. It's a little complicated as to where the money comes from to continue doing our work sometimes because it doesn't make sense, obviously, to be trying to charge somebody who's uh, living in a, you know, in a very straitened circumstance financially to expect them to pay to learn how to become digitally literate. So there are organizations like the libraries, et cetera, who are trying to address this issue, but we have a long, long way to go in the nonprofit sector to be regionally, really digitally uh, as advanced as we could and should be. Of course, one of the downfalls, I suppose, of um, uh, digital technology is uh, maintaining that work-life balance because all of a sudden uh, you're 24-7 when you've got that phone in your hand or your pocket. Well, that's that's where uh, good governance comes into play, Linda, which you, you, you raised a few minutes ago. If you have good policies in place, then you should be able to say to your employees, you have a right to go offline at certain times of the day Uh, that, you know, you might receive an email, but you don't have to deal with it. You can still work your normal hours unless, of course, you want flex time. But uh, the questions you're asking lead to a whole variety of new challenges that boards of directors are facing in governing their organizations. How do you protect people? What do we have to build in for good uh, cyber, uh, to, to avoid cyber attacks? What, what is it we have to do? So it's a whole new array of policies and information we need to be on top of. How do you protect your passwords? How do you protect yourself? How do you know when it's a scam and not a scam? Huge amount of work uh, needs to be addressed here. Uh, You touched on it earlier as well when it comes to funding or fundraising for that matter. And we've seen a whole lot of challenges, especially in the community sector uh, in the recent years, of course, uh, uh, due to COVID. But way back in 2019, before COVID, hard to imagine a time before COVID, but (laughs) here we are. um, uh, There was a real push towards the importance of multi-year funding when it comes to government funding, that kind of thing. Where are we with that? It's still a challenge. Many of uh, our grants and many of the money that's available in the nonprofit sector are one-off applications, short-term applications, only for a short period of time. Uh, Certainly, it is an ongoing discussion, uh, particularly with our provincial government, uh, how to sort this out to streamline the way in which our community organizations work, but also to help streamline the way in which governments work with us. I was speaking to a colleague outside of the metro area a few days ago, and she told me that she has to complete 18 different 
financial reports for different funding sources, and not one of those reports is the same. So she's always having to do things a bit differently for different funders. Uh, so th these are the ongoing conversations that we are having, uh, particularly with our provincial government, how we, how we can streamline this to make it easier inside of government and how to streamline it for our organizations that work closely with, with funders to make sure that our energy is being put to the missions and to the passion for our organizations rather than always having to focus on, oh, my goodness, how do I fill in this particular financial record? Not that we shouldn't be filling in financial records, that's not my point, but if we can streamline them so we don't have to complete our documents in different ways for different funders, you know, will bring us to a, an easier space for all of us. And these are not just issues here in this province. These are issues that prevail amongst our colleagues across the country. And remove some of that uncertainty and allow for better planning, I would imagine. It's uh, much easier to function if you know you've got uh, funding secured for three or five years or ten, for that matter, and, and carry on and, and get your, keep your programs going than wondering, well, we have no idea if this is going to be funded this time next year. And it, it certainly leads to better planning. It also leads to incredible efficiencies. If you have to hire somebody for 12 months, then they disappear and they go to another job. Then you get another grant. You've got to go out and hire again. You've got to retrain. So the inefficiencies that it leads to, um, you know, could be argued to be wasteful. It's also debilitating on organizations that do have to have good employees. And we know that employees are always on the lookout for a different job that has more stability. One of the challenges uh, for working in the nonprofit sector is a, a sense that your position is not sustainable. It's, in, it's, it's challenging because you don't know if you're going to have a job next year. So when people uh, who obviously work because they're making their living, uh, they will always be looking for an opportunity where there's more stability, uh, where they feel more secure in their jobs. So that creates an awful lot of churn in our sector. Now, I'm sure from everything we're seeing, there's churn in other sectors as well, but just the way in which our organizations operate and to the point that you made around multi-year funding, trying to streamline and get more efficiencies so that we can, you know, look at ways in which we can probably share back office support, administrative support. And the longer you know that you are going to be in a good financial situation, the better planning you can make for your organization and collectively. And I remember a very large survey a number of years ago with thousands and thousands of charities and nonprofits across the country. The biggest challenge that was identified in that survey was the lack of ability for long-term planning in our sector. And so that speaks to the very point you raised about multi-year funding. Our guest today on On Target is CEO of the Community Sector Council, Penny Rowe. And uh, Penny, when we come back, I'd like to talk talk to you a little bit about, you know, reflecting back and, and, and thinking forward as well <laughs> when we come back after the break, right after this. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And our guest today on On Target is the outgoing CEO of the Community Sector Council, Penny Rowe, who is stepping down early in the new year after four decades at the helm. And Penny, what would you consider uh, your greatest achievement? 
there have been certainly many achievements that the Community Sector Council has had because of all the people who've been associated with the organisation. Thousands and thousands of people have served as volunteers, served on our boards, been here as students, been here as employees. And I can look backwards and just see so many changes in our communities as a result of work that we did, but also as a result of what a lot of other organisations have done. And I like to think that we've played a role in bringing greater attention and greater knowledge about the absolutely central, essential role that community sector organizations play. And one of the things that we often uh, joke about here, and, and perhaps you know, at some point it shouldn't even be seen as a joke, but we say, what would happen if every single nonprofit organization went on strike? There would hardly be anything left in our communities uh, that people rely on, whether it's sports, recreation, family resource centers, trails. There would be a very blank picture if all of our organizations stopped functioning. So I think as I look back, that the important thing is that we have probably built a better understanding of the sector, but I think there's still a long, long way to go in terms of people's appreciation of how fundamental all of these organizations are, how much we rely on the involvement of volunteers to manage our organizations in governance and to be the backbone of the organization and the reliance that we need to have good employees working in the sector. So it's absolutely important that people understand just how important these organizations are. We're not a frill. We're not something around the edges of society. We're dead smack in the middle of economic development and social development. And that needs that message needs to be driven home all the time. And I think the Community Sector Council has certainly played a good role in trying to um, enlighten uh, the views around the importance of the community sector, that it's not just something off to the edge, but that it's absolutely central to society and to economic progress. Any particular areas where you'd like to see further growth or improvement? Well, always important that we keep generating good revenues in our sector and find new and creative ways uh, to make sure that the sector is properly funded to do the work that it does. Really important to find ways of supporting volunteers in our sector to make sure that they can do the things that they love to do and that they want to do. One of the huge issues uh, that I think still needs to be addressed is how many of our nonprofits relate to our federal government in particular. We've made good strides here in the province where we now have a minister who has a responsibility for the community sector. In other words, we have a bit of a home within government uh, to speak about things that affect many of our organizations. That has not yet happened at a federal level. So that's, and that's a really important stride that we, we need to make also need to be looking at different ways, I think, of moving people out of poverty, making sure that uh, vulnerable people do, in fact, uh, have enough resources to be able to live a reasonable life. One of the things that we've learned in the last 
few years as a result of the work done by the Health Accord Newfoundland and Labrador is that if we're going to make a major transformation in our healthcare system, we're going to have to focus a great deal more on the social determinants of health. And that, of course, has a lot to do with housing. It has a lot to do with poverty. It has a lot to do with having a basic income. It has a lot to do with how you can make your way through through school, how you can be healthy. So looking forward, I think really being able to get on board with the recommendations that have come out of the Health Accord, which of course was commissioned by our provincial government, and really starting to understand that we have to, you know, have a lot of um, leveling out, if you will, in society in order to make sure that people are able to live healthier, uh, better lives. Is the community sector in a good place as you hand over the reins? The Community Sector Council, I hope, is in a very good space. Uh, And that, of course, is my primary responsibility to make sure that uh, I'm leaving an organization that the next person who fills my position has a starting point. Uh, I certainly hope that uh, I leave it in a situation where somebody coming into my position has room to grow, develop, change the organization and move the organization into the future. Bittersweet? Uh, No, I don't think so. It took me, obviously, many years to figure out when the right timing was and have been in conversation, you know, with my board of directors over the last couple of years to make sure that we get the process right, that we have the organization in stable condition. I have a huge respect for the people who have served on the boards of CSC. They've always really fostered a wonderful climate for the employees here uh, and just an extraordinary respect for the individuals who work at the Community Sector Council who really have been the the brains and the backbone of the organization. I happen to be the one who has the job of being out front, but uh, the other people who are in the organization are the ones who really hold the organization together. So bittersweet, not so much. Uh, What are your plans now? Anything, you know, post-CSC? Well, I'm certainly glad you didn't ask about retirement because I've been very careful to say I'm not retiring. Yes, I do have a few ideas uh, floating around, uh, things that I see that uh, could be ways in which I could use my energy and and the talents and the knowledge that I've built. Uh, But that will be something that I will be focusing on in the new year, not now. Right now what I'm trying to do is just make sure that the things that I've started that are important for the organization uh, get kept in good position so that uh, we can move forward and uh, the organization can adapt to uh, new ways of doing business in the future. Are you playing a role in the selection of a new CEO or are you just uh, keeping the the whole thing going until that that decision is made? Well, I think that, you know, the the decision, of course, rests with, uh, with the people who are serving on our transition team. Uh, Obviously, uh, you know, they needed some uh, important guidance from me about what the the skill sets are. However, that decision certainly rests with somebody else, and I don't think it's my position to be interfering with who, who they select. But you'll stay on to help them out uh, during the transition? Yes, sure, as long as it's uh, necessary and to make sure that uh, the person who uh, is hired is, you know, 
on top of all of our files, knows who the people are we work with, have those good connections, and can be introduced to all the people who I now work with and have collaborations with, not only in the province but across the country, because those relationships are exceedingly important to the future of the organization. Penny Rowe, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you so much for the work that you've done over these many years and uh, all the best to you in your future endeavours, as the saying goes. While I have the chance, I certainly want to uh, recognise all the support that we've received over the years from VOCM. You've always been on top of any of the issues that are important and always been a great supporter through the CARES Foundation for our volunteer week and it's always just been a pleasure to work with you personally as well Linda and uh, perhaps we can do this again before I'm gone. Absolutely I have no doubt that will be the case. Uh, Penny Rowe uh, thanks very much and have a great weekend. You too Linda thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye and we'll be back on Monday of next week. Uh, Full book shows throughout next week. I'm really excited about it as a matter of fact so stay tuned for that as well. Thanks for listening everyone. Have a great weekend.